0: This is the Men of Athens Podcast, making the unknown God known to a very religious world. For more information, check out MenOfAthens.com Welcome everyone to the Men of Athens Podcast coming to you from beautiful Gresham, Oregon. I'm Thomas Lawson.
1: And I am Dave Barry.
0: How's it going today, brother? Good. Good. Yourself? Doing well. It's been a while since we've done an episode together. It has. It has. I was off uh, gallivanting in Slovenia with uh, Matt Mormantz.
1: Is that in Southern Oregon?
0: Yes. Okay. It is. It's way, way south of Oregon. Actually, Slovenia, well, the town I was in is actually kind of at the same was it latitude? Yeah, latitude, longitude. Latitude, long... Okay, yeah, I always have to kind of orient myself. Long and um, lateral. Right, exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's about the same latitude as Salem, I want to say? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what he said. But anyway, had a great time, and you were off gallivanting in Kentucky. I was in Kentucky. For the Together for the Gospel.
1: Together for the Gospel Conference. Very edifying. I would encourage the listeners to go to t4g.org probably org org yeah and listen to um, the talks there all of them are worth your time but I would say if you listen to one listen to Lig Duncan yes and then after listening to Lig Duncan listen to David Platt Platt actually went before him in the conference Mm -hmm. and took a lot of flack from took a lot of flack yeah. For his message, which was which was uh very timely and helpful. And both those men are talking about race and uh exceptionally helpful, especially for those of us who are majority culture. Yeah. So if you're a majority culture, if you're a white person listening to this, listen to those.
0: Unless they're listening to this in Iceland, which would be like the only culture. Well there's white yeah, there's white people <laughs> there too. That's. That is the majority culture and the minority culture simultaneously. No, I don't mean to make light of it. Um, Who you are, listen to it. Correct. And Mm -hmm. this is actually something, a topic we might be taking up on a future episode. Not today, but uh, you were there in person. Mm -hmm. I'm jealous of that because the singing, I I watched a lot of it online, live, and then Mm -hmm. I went back and watched some of it recorded. Um, All I can say is... The singing, I know, was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Being in a room of 12,000 predominantly men and just the strength of the voices coming through. Yeah, there were
1: about 2,000 sisters there and about Mm -hmm. 10,000 guys. And uh, it was great. I'm not a musician, so I did get a little over it after a while. Yeah. We sang a lot. Yeah. And it was beautiful, and it was amazing, and I had tears in my eyes multiple times. Just the lyrics, sweet and joyous. It was very long days, a lot of content. Mm. So, that's what I mean. there's a few times where the the um, spirit was willing, the flesh was weak.
0: Yeah, I I, I hear you. Um, I can see where a conference like that would be just uh, just an amazing experience to be a part of. But at the same time, you're exhausted, and so you're you're tired by the end of the day, and then you're going to be sitting through more talks and and. Times together, um, Bob Coughlin of Sovereign Grace Music, who led the music for the conference, uh, just a phenomenal musician, wonderful songwriter, very, very edifying music mm-hmm. he writes, um, and and this is no absolutely no knock against his voice. When I was listening live on online, basically it was the piano and his voice, and I could barely hear the crowd singing behind him. So one of the things I want to send uh, the T4 guys for next year, T4G guys for. Not next year, but two years. They do the conference every two years. Yeah. Is to say, get a microphone for the audience Mm. uh, so that we can get that kind of full voice effect for those of us who who aren't able to go and be there live.
1: Yeah, it was great not being musical. Yeah. Being horribly musical. So, like, one of the things I'm looking forward to being in glory is I'll be able to play (laughs) a guitar and a fiddle and sing. it be amazing because those are the two things I want to play.
0: A guitar and a fiddle.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah
0: and I'll be looking for you around the throne but his voice (laughs) was
1: is easy to sing with yeah and that was that was that was great he's also like a John Piper of the piano by that I mean Piper has some specific mannerisms when he gets excited in the pulpit he's preaching raises his hands he's got his sport coat on so the sleeves get shortened you see half the forearm and Coughlin had one move that he would do a lot when he got excited. Mm -hmm. He kind of put his head down and raised his hands and sort of like this victory move. Yes. And I
0: was just yeah. I've often said if you put wings on John Piper while he was preaching, he would fly away. Yes. Um, you know Matt Chandler is a lot like that too. Matt. No. Well, he doesn't flap his arms a lot. I, I don't know what to call it. And this is an audio recording, so people can't see it. But Matt Chandler is a lot of like arm back and forth he looks like he's doing crossfit to me
1: well no no <laughs> but you could put glow sticks in his hand and you put on could. some
0: trance music and that guy would be having a good time you could connect him to some kind of like uh, kinetic generator yeah to where when he's doing that he's generating electricity for the room that he's in be environmentally friendly
1: well he does his contrapposto thing like where you he leans on one foot and swaggers uh-huh. his hips a little bit and then uh, C.J. Mahaney claps, although he wasn't there for the conference. Yeah, and th- those are things I pay attention to. as yeah. someone who preaches, I just pay attention to. But that But a stuff. good
0: Presbyterian like Ligon Duncan is not going to be dancing or clapping or no,
1: might, no. Yeah. But that man was just full of joy. What a yeah. great, great, oh, brother. trust me,
0: brother. Yeah. Trust me, um, yeah. His sermon that um, Dave is talking about, I think I've watched it twice now. All mm-hmm. the way through, mm. and um, if it it is as close to a grand slam as one can get in preaching, mm. I, I I say this with all full understanding that it's the spirit, not the man. Mm. Um, so the spirit truly, truly spoke through that brother mm-hmm. to open up the Word of God mm-hmm. at that sermon, and I, I mm-hmm. had tears in my eyes mm-hmm. the first time I listened to it. Yeah, it's good, um, tremendous.
1: So, it was good to have you back from Sylvania. Yeah, yeah, as we catch and, up again. And uh, you were speaking with brother Mormants. I listened to that. That was good. I tell you what, when that guy talks, I can hear the barreling waves of California. <laughs> I mean, that guy's from up here, but he just, he's as, as Californian sounding as you can get. He's West Coast. He's so West Coast. He's so West Coast. But he is palm trees, warm beaches. Yeah.
0: West Coast. He uses dude a lot and bro. Yeah, And Yeah, um, bro. Yeah. Dude, bro. So I, I, found myself coming back using those words like, ah, all right, I got to get back to my.
1: Who would have thought you'd go to Slovenia to come back broing everyone out, bro?
0: <laughs> oh man, he's a good Matt, brother. Matt, love you,
1: man. Only met you a couple times,
0: so it is great to, to be back with you. Uh, we've we've taken a little bit more of an extended introduction this this episode, just to kind of catch up on some things and. Kind of lean it back a little bit, but we're actually going to be talking about a really, really important subject today. We're going to be asking the question, why did Jesus have to die? Not everyone believes that. Do you realize that? Not even in Christianity. Not even in, pro- well, professing Christianity, I'll say that. What do you mean? There are strains of, of professing Christianity that do not necessarily believe well, let me back up. Okay. They might believe in the physical death of a man named Jesus. Mm-hmm. What they do not believe in is the substitutionary atonement mm-hmm. that Jesus had to die. And there's a there's a huge disparity there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> either either he had to die according to what Scripture says. Mm-hmm. Either he was paying a sub, he was a substitute. He died in place for the sin of sinners,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or it was just a normal, mortal human death. Now, there's one popular theologian out there, and I'll just say his name because I think he's a dangerous person, and, and that's William Paul Young. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, and I, I'm going to paraphrase here, so if anybody you know thinks I'm not quoting him fairly, let me know, but... Uh, was it 28 Lies We Believe About God was a book that he just came out with.
1: I know it recently came out, don't recall the, yeah. the number. I mean
0: a better way to name that book would be 28 absolutely true biblical things that I don't believe anymore. That would be a, a more yes, appropriate name. That would but be. he talks about the cross not being penal not being a, a penal substitution, not being a a penalty that was paid by Christ, but being the demonstration of the worst of humanity and because Jesus was able to bear in himself the worst human action that could be committed, we therefore can be forgiven for our sins. so there's no substitution for for death. So all that to say, you ask, what do I mean by that? what do some why do some Christians not believe that? That's where I'm coming from. there's different views out there which I think are totally wrong. Um, about the death of Christ.
1: Uh, let's see. Just to to clarify, uh, Rob Bell yeah. r- wrote a book called "Jesus Wants to Save Christians," and it was more or less a, a manifesto for a resurgence of a social gospel mm-hmm. that. Salvation is found in liberating the oppressed, primarily from unrighteous governments. And it wasn't until the very end um, where he talked about the cross and redefined Jesus' work as not being in our place Mm. with our sin on himself as our substitute, but rather so Jesus wasn't absorbing the wrath of God, Jesus was absorbing the wrath of man, and it was purely a horizontal um, transaction, as it were, that took place, and that what Jesus did was he set the example, Christus Mm. exemplar, he set the example um, of, so there was, so basically you could read Rob Bell's Jesus Wants to Save Christians and not get saved. Because he did not have the biblical gospel in there regarding okay, Christ's yeah. work, so I wrote a paper on it called "Jesus Wants to Save Christians." Dot 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 from Rob Bell. <laughs> that was the name of the paper <laughs> I, I turned in. Could we
0: make that uh, available on the website? <laughs> or is maybe it, I, I, it?
1: I have to look for it. Well, so okay. that's what you mean. So, yeah. so
0: we'll see. Let, let's back up for just a minute and let let's let's rewind a, a tiny bit here kay. because. So if anyone out there listening, let's say believers are going to be familiar with the narrative of why Christ had to die.
1: I'm going to assume they're not.
0: Well, hang on a second. Okay. True believers. A true believer in the gospel is going to understand that they deserved a penalty for their sins. Mm. They have trusted in Christ who bore that penalty, and now they are, are free in Christ. They are a new creature in him. But I'm, let's talk about a person who may be a skeptic or a person who may not truly understand the gospel at this point. So we ask this question, why did Jesus have to die? Okay. So why was it that, you know, why didn't Jesus come to just be a good example for us? Why why, why not the Rob Bell position? Why uh, not the William Paul Young position? Mm-hmm. Um Why was his death mm -hmm. necessary? Go ahead, what did you say?
1: Well, I was just going to jump in there too. I I think one of the things that William Paul Young talks about, if I'm not mistaken, is that um, divine child abuse Mm. is how he Mm -hmm. portrays the cross, which is is false. It was a plan from eternity Mm -hmm. devised by Father, Son, and Spirit. So this was the son jumping in front of the moving bus of God's wrath to rescue people who were jaywalking across the street. Yeah. It wasn't abuse. It was a heroic move to save people who were going to eternally perish. Yeah. Uh, but
0: that's kind of getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, just a little bit. So you got your Bible open there. You were going to jump in.
1: Yeah, well, so I'm, I'm open. There's, there's, what we're talking about here is the heart of the gospel, Mm-hmm. So 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that the heart of the gospel is Jesus' death for our sins on the cross, according to the scriptures, and his raising from the grave. Those two things. So then you're asking the question, why is it that Jesus had to die? So right. why, why is that the heart of this? this good news that we believe in order to be saved and then want everyone else in the whole world in fact, Jesus commanded us, go to all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, make disciples, teach them to obey.
0: One we're kind of flipping things on their head because a couple weeks ago we talked about the resurrection. So now we're going back and yes. saying, why did he have to die? Right.
1: So I'm open here to Romans 3.23, and I'll, I think this is a good launch pad. So mm-hmm. let me just read it. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So just right there, sinning ultimately is failing to reach God's glory or to glorify God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. And just quick, simple definitions for justified. When we're justified, that is, is like saying... Because of Christ's work, it's God counts us just if I'd never sinned and just if I'd lived Christ's life. Mm-hmm. That is to say, because of Christ's work and then our belief in Christ's work, we're justified that it's not just a clean slate, don't go sin anymore. It's God gives us all of Christ's righteousness or The the theological word is he imputes it to us, but anyways, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, it's a big Bible word.
0: We're going to talk about that in a minute.
1: Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. Basically, every single human sin before the cross, he passed over those former sins. They were still sins. We can get into that later. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So that D.A. Carson calls that passage the theological center of the Bible. Mm. That that unbelievably tightly wound theologically pregnant passage unpacks why
0: Jesus had to die. Yeah. So
1: I have that. Do you want me to keep going?
0: No, I'm actually going to go back a little bit further in the Bible, like well, the Book of Genesis.
1: That's actually where I want to go. Okay, good. Do you want a yeah. Rochambeau to see who goes there?
0: <laughs> I have no idea what. Oh, is that what Rochambeau? Paper scissors. Let me go there.
1: You go there and I'll correct you.
0: Yeah, uh, you correct. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you probably will. Oh, man. So all of this goes back to the origin of sin in the universe. Yeah. And the severity of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, to summarize, Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth, creates man, and places him in the Garden of Eden. Chapter 2 zooms in on the creation narrative. And gives us the story of Adam and Eve being created in perfection, being placed in the garden. And they're given this command uh, in Genesis chapter 2 verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, so... It's important to note, because a lot of times I've heard the objection as, you know, what, what was the deal with this fruit? So it wasn't as if this fruit was some kind of poison that contained sin poison, mm-hmm. that if they got this juice on them, they were going to be infected with sin. Mm-hmm. The the issue of Adam and Eve, or the this the, their situation of being told not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then... Chapter three, they are deceived by the serpent and they do eat. Is not about this whatever physical fruit this was, the juices and the, the meat of the fruit getting on them. It was about rebellion against God. Mm-hmm. And and in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, here it says, In the day you eat thereof, you will surely die, literally in the Hebrew, and you know this because your Hebrew is like far beyond mine but dying you shall die. Mm-hmm. As, as one of my seminary professors would say, you will die, die.
1: Yeah, my, um, my Hebrew is horrible.
0: Just okay. but, 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 so. It's better than mine. I can say the alphabet, but that's okay. not it. Um, I remember a few words. But um, yeah, you shall die. And the day you eat thereof, you dying you will die. There mm-hmm. will be this this death, death. Mm-hmm. Physical, spiritual, in every way. Mm-hmm. So there is this perfect standard of holiness, as we just talked about in Romans chapter 3. Mm-hmm. Um, this perfect standard of holiness that's now been transgressed with rebellion. Mm-hmm. And that rebellion now infects all of us. Mm-hmm. We, we are born into this sinful rebellion against God mm-hmm. to not listen to him, to not obey him, to doubt him, to transgress his, his laws and ways. And so there is this perpetual sin that is going on. We are sinning against God. We are we are at enmity with Him, and we need to be brought back into a right relationship with God.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things, the way that we articulate it is the, the quality of life and personhood and human beingness that Adam and Eve had before the fall walking with God in the garden i mean the exquisite nature of creation the vibrancy of colors i mean what what their relationship was like i mean everything was would have been beyond pristine i mean it was it was perfection the word eden means delight so they were in a garden of delight they delighted in each other they delighted in what God gave them they delighted in God himself so when they disobeyed was a there was a fundamental change in human nature so you know you mentioned sin we read earlier that sin was falling short ultimately of the glory of god failing to glorify god because we're seeking to glorify anyone or anything else other than god himself but when it comes to sin then falling short of god's glory we are sinners by nature Mm -hmm. it is what we are it's it's in our very it's in the dna of our souls if you could say it that way. We're sinners by nature. It's what we are. By practice. Mm-hmm. It's what we do. By choice. It's what we want to do. And by God's declaration. It's what he says we are. So nature, practice, choice, God's declaration. Yes.
0: And, and, and at being 41 years old and having a 12-year-old, an 8-year-old, And a a two-and-a-half-year-old, I can attest to all of those things, Mm. both in my own life Mm -hmm. and in the life of my little children, whom I love dearly. Mm -hmm. Uh, But no one has taught my two-and-a-half-year-old to lie, yet she lies. Mm -hmm. No one has taught her to be sneaky and rebellious, Mm -hmm. yet she's Mm -hmm. sneaky and rebellious. Mm -hmm. Love her to death, would do anything for her, but yeah, it's evident um, that we... No one has to teach us rebellion. No one Mm -hmm. has to teach us to do wrong. Um, It is in our nature.
1: It is. So, what is God going to do? Maybe if you were God or if I was God or if if a listener was God, they would just go, forget it. You guys ruined everything. I'm going to scrap this whole endeavor. That's not what God does. When you go to Genesis 3.15, perhaps, in my mind, arguably, one of the most important verses in the Bible is Genesis 3.15. Yep. So, God here is in the middle of um, cursing the serpent. He's disciplining Adam and Eve. And he says to the serpent, um, I will put enmity, strongest one of the strongest words for hatred, yeah. I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. Now, at this point in the story, Eve hasn't been named Eve yet. She's still Isha, She's still woman. But is it talking about Eve or... A future woman. I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, between your seed or offspring, and between her offspring. Mm. He shall bruise your head, Satan, and you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. So you have these three clauses or statements in here. There's going to be the strife between the man or between Satan and the woman. Both Satan and the woman will have offspring. But that word offspring or seed in some older translations is a collective noun. So you can have a seed, singular, on the table or a bag of seed, plural. And so context determines that. So in this passage, it tells us that this is speaking singular. It says Mm -hmm. you're both going to have offspring and then there's going to be a baby boy. He shall bruise your head, Satan, and you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. And then on the narrative goes. But if we're attentive readers, if you just pause and think about what will be the identity and career of this baby boy who we're now looking for to be born, this son of Adam is going to be an Adam Jr., or Adam II, Mm -hmm. who is going to right all the wrongs of our first father, Adam, because God holds Adam primarily responsible for the fall of the human race. So if we think about what he's going to have to do in this head bruising of Satan, this crushing, he's going to have to at least he has to undo what what Adam did, which means this 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 baby boy is somehow going to reverse the curse on creation. That has to be part of the package. He has to reconcile a relationship with God and human beings, and then human beings with one another. Because if we were to keep reading, which we won't. We'll see that strife enters into the relationship between man and woman. There's roles that are there that were given before the fall, but they are now corrupted. And there's going to be this this issue. We're also going to see here that he's going to crush Satan. And somehow, this baby has to undo death.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And the question is, how? The story, as it unfolds, doesn't tell us at this point. But you have this pregnant passage... That's that's, that's,
0: explain that to our listeners. That's
1: (laughs) (laughs) no, I but so yeah, actually, so a woman's gonna have to have have so it's pregnant with meaning. Yes. But also there's gonna be a woman who's pregnant who's gonna give birth to a baby boy. So what this does is this unleashes in scripture, and here in the first covenant, gen this this there's a creation covenant here. Talk about that later. Doesn't use the word, but it's here, all the features are. In this establishment, we're now looking for this son to come who will undo death and all those other things I listed, those four items. Yeah. And um, he's, gonna, he's going to, well, how is he going to undo death? Mm-hmm. And you begin to get these clues as we read the story. The next covenant that comes up is Noah. And we see that the penalty of sin is, is obviously death, where the flood destroys the whole earth except for Adam, or excuse me, Noah and his family. Noah is presented as another Adam, the very things God commanded. Adam, he commands to Noah. So Noah is this new Adam who, with his wife, steps off the boat. The earth has been wiped clean, washed clean because of sin. And for the sake of time, you fast forward to Moses. God had made a, another covenant relationship with Abraham. And we find out that Abraham was treated like another Adam. But that from Abraham, the baby boy of Genesis 3.15 is going to come. And Mm -hmm. when this baby boy comes, somehow, all we know is he's coming through this family line. There's an interesting moment in Abraham's life in Genesis 22, when God tells him to take your son, your only son whom you love, first mention of love in the Bible, up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice your son there. Abraham obeys, knowing that because Isaac is the promised son, Isaac will have to be resurrected even if he is killed, but God rescues Isaac. And that Mount Moriah, consequently, is also named in the Bible Golgotha
0: Mm.
1: or Mm -hmm. Jerusalem, the very mountain, the very uh, spot where Christ himself was crucified. We don't know that yet in the story. Yeah. So then the promise of Abraham has a bunch of kids. You fast forward to Moses, and then Moses, a priesthood is inaugurated with
0: sacrifices. You get this unfolding picture. Yeah. And I was about to make a quick comment. I was trying to find yeah. the title of this book. Um, so you're, you're starting with this Genesis 315 passage. Yeah, so all and, of that question of yeah. why did Jesus have to die? We're, yes, mm-hmm. why did Jesus have to die? And I want to give just a quick rabbit trail here. We're going yeah. on a very short one, but it's related. Um, One of the most helpful tools that I have found over the years in someone who may not be as familiar with the Old Testament, Uh uh, walking people from that Genesis 3.15 passage up to the life of Christ, following on what you're saying here, um, is the time around Advent. uh, As we get to the end of November, December 1st, Um, there's some great Advent devotionals out there. There's some okay ones, there's some bad ones. But uh, the best ones that I have seen, there was one that we use as our family. It's called the Jesse Tree. It's not well known. Huh. Uh, the lady who wrote it is actually from Mississippi. And oh. uh, so that's why I think a lot of us from the South knew who it was. But we use it. So the first, I want to say the first or second uh, devotional is about God's good creation. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you get to the third one, you're into the fall and the promise of The one who would come, the seed of the woman who would come and crush the head of the serpent. So from that point on, in the devotional, she's working through these types of Christ Mm. in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. It's it's showing us this foreshadowing of Christ. This this is what the Messiah is going to be like. We're not there yet. Mm -hmm. This is not the seed of the woman yet Mm -hmm. until we get to Christ. Mm Who is the one who does it? And I think it's a, it's a wonderful tool to use to walk through the Old Testament and get that big picture overview. And then if you follow it through the life of Christ on through to Easter mm-hmm. and the death of Christ mm-hmm. and the resurrection of Christ, mm-hmm. you get that biblical overview of the prophecy that leads to Jesus, mm. his life, death, burial, resurrection. Um, That's just something I would recommend to people out there listening who want to get that overview. So the book is called The Jesse Tree. You can find it on, I know you can find it on Amazon. That's where we got
1: it. That's good. Yeah. So the reason I'm I'm laying this out is uh, uh, there's an assumption that I need to make evident is our Bible comes to us as a complete story. Um, The Bible wasn't written all at once. But on this side of the cross, the Bible's done being written, it comes Mm -hmm. to us ultimately as a what we call a a meta-narrative. So, I read Romans 3, and there the Apostle Paul is giving us a a theological treatise on what God was doing in the death of Christ. But that theological treatise is a hyperlinked text. Really, it summarizes the story. So, to explain why did Jesus die, you have to know the story. It's Mm -hmm. not, it's, it's a theological answer that summarizes the story. So when God promises to Abraham that the Genesis 3.15 son's going to come through you, but then 400 years later, the, his family has grown into a large tribe of over a million people. They're enslaved in, in Egypt. Some interesting things begin to take place with animals. So just as when Adam and Eve fell, God, the first death in the Bible, was an animal to clothe them even though they were trying to clothe themselves with leaves, first work of self-righteousness. Then when, Adam, when Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac, God provides a ram there. So too, when now Abraham's people are enslaved in Egypt and he, Moses has been risen up to deliver the people, the final plague that God, the final judgment God brings to deliver the people is the Passover. And the Passover... All the people had to take a lamb into their home for five days. If you were a small household, you joined up with another one. And then uh, on the prescribed night, you would eat with the sandals on, belt on, staff in hand. You would eat the, the lamb, but you had taken its blood and you had painted the exterior doorposts of mm-hmm. your house. Because the angel of death was going to pass through... Egypt and every home that was covered in the blood of the lamb would be saved. Mm -hmm. And every home that was not your firstborn would die. And interestingly, when you read in Exodus about that, it says that that blood on the doorposts was a sign not for the angel of death. It was actually a sign for the people of Israel. So you have this death taking place. A substitution takes place for these people to live. You fast forward and God comes to dwell among Israel in the wilderness in a tent. That tabernacle is a microcosm of the Garden of Eden. God has come out into exile to rescue his people who were characterized by death. And then the only way that his people can relate to him is through a priesthood who mediates between people and God. And these priests offer gifts and sacrifices on behalf of the people to make them ritually clean to approach God. Then even then they couldn't approach God there were all these tiers and layers of separation where you couldn't just go and walk into the tabernacle. Yeah, And then, in the nation of Israel, there was a high point, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when the high priest, that was the head priest, would make atonement. He would make satisfaction. He would wash away, he would make right, he would clean, make clean, the sins of the people against God. He would take two goats One, he would put his hands on its head, confess the sins of the people over the goat, and they would send it into the wilderness. So that was the scapegoat, that's Mm. where that word comes from. So he would escape and go out into the wilderness. And then the other goat, its job was to die in place of the people. And the blood of these animals covered the people's sins temporarily. And it was effective for them because they believed God's plan there in that animal sacrifice as they believed it by faith. They were supposed to see the horror of their imperfection and sin against God require the death of another to give them life. Yeah. And that was embedded for a thousand years into the life of the people of Israel. So then they broke covenant. They broke relationship with God for that thousand years. So
0: you fast forward to Isaiah 53. Now... Yep. Let me summarize. So, Let me summarize real quick because there's a lot of details we're talking about today. Uh-huh. So I'm going to summarize what we've been talking about basically in one sentence. If I get it wrong, Kay. ding the bell. All right. We don't have a bell. God is perfect and holy. Uh-huh. He created man and woman in his image and likeness in perfection.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He demanded holiness of them, he demanded perfection from them. They failed, they fell into sin, they rebelled against him. As a result, there is this fallenness, there's this brokenness in the relationship between us and God. We are at enmity between God because we are in a state of unholiness. He is holy. We cannot abide in His holiness in our sinful state. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we need that enmity to be removed. We Mm -hmm. need that that, uh, anger of God against unholiness because God hates unholiness. And if we are in our sin, we are unholy. Mm-hmm. So he hates that unholiness. His wrath, his anger against unholiness must be satisfied. He cannot sweep it under the rug. The injustice cannot simply be excused. So, I mean, it would be, I've heard the analogy before, and, and it may be a little bit trite, but I think the metaphor, the, the example is, is appropriate it would be like a just judge if a murderer comes before him who has done horrible atrocities if he just says i excuse you how unjust and how wrong that is the punishment of say someone who's committed multiple atrocities and murders has to be that that crime has to be punished there has to be a penalty that is paid for that crime so I'm just trying to summarize all of this into yeah. the big the the, the thirty thousand foot view of yeah. what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. So Adam and Eve have fallen into a state of unholiness. We, mm-hmm. their offspring, are in that state mm-hmm. of unholiness of sinfulness. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we are under God's wrath unless it is satisfied, mm-hmm. unless the penalty is paid, and we are freed.
1: Yeah, you know, and and God and His providence didn't make the firstborn son of Adam and Eve be Jesus Mm -hmm. or an immaculate conception of Eve and have Jesus and then have him just grow up and die. Jesus didn't fall down in heaven and break his neck and that didn't, he didn't die there, right? I mean, you know, he had to come and and be uh, truly God and truly man in our place and and that's an important doctrine, but... Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think what I'm doing is one of the reasons why I'm going into this detail is I think most people don't know how that story unfolds. Mm-hmm. In a in a era where people have a New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs and yeah. don't have an Old Testament, people would be better served by having an Old Testament with John and Romans. Yeah, and and We've they talked would, about that before. Yeah, I mean, they would get that. So I think that's and part of it. This is what I'm going to school for. You know, yeah. I'm passionate about this. Walking through, looking at this. Yeah. So. So God has embedded, he's, he's, he's had this tutor over human beings that his, his uh, God cannot, it would be against God's nature not to deal with human sin. It, and, and as you mentioned briefly, death in the Bible is not just physical death, which was not, which was not the intention for human beings live forever it's spiritual death because human beings actually do live forever there's a resurrection coming as we talked about last time where we get our bodies and you're going to live forever in your body either in heaven which is actually the new heaven and new earth or in hell so god's got to deal with that sin so why did jesus have to die all the prophets prophesied
0: mm-hmm.
1: they looked back they looked at moses and the and the priests and the sacrificial system and that was a 1000 year tutelage to understand we're very sinful, we're very broken, and we need a savior because we cannot save ourselves because we keep trying to. We can't look to other gods because they always let us down because they're fake. We can't look to other princes and kings because they're corrupt themselves. And along the way, there is one king, David, whom God makes this agreement with another covenant relationship. And in Isaiah 53, we find out that this Davidic son, who we read about back in Genesis 3.15, is going to die. And and so, why did Jesus have to die? It's because that whole sacrificial system was preparing us for the sacrifice of God's Son, prefigured with Abraham and Isaac, and and that that Jesus himself would be, as John the Baptist said when he saw him walking on the shores of Galilee, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. So, when we talk about Jesus being a lamb, you're bringing together the entire weight of the Old Testament teaching on the Passover lamb, because it was at the Passover when Jesus was crucified for us. It was at the Passover supper that he was reenacting when he said, "This, take this cup and drink it, it's the blood of the new covenant that he was establishing. This bread is my body broken for you. So, Jesus had to die because he was the last Adam. Mm. And that whole storyline of scripture shows us that this last Adam it's that in Jesus' death, he crushes Satan. Mm. And in his death, he undoes death. Right? So John Owens, the death, the death of death, the death and, and the death, death of, of Christ. Christ yes. uh, he crushes Satan, he disarms him, Colossians tells us, he undoes undoes.
0: Undoes. Undoes death.
1: <laughs> and, and then that relationship is reconciled between human beings yeah. and and with each other and God. And the curse of creation is not undone yet. And it's you know, when he that crown of thorns was put on his head, those thorns are the curse of creation. So so there's there's the biblical storyline for you yeah. that kind of takes us up to Paul's theological reasoning saying he's the propitiation for our sins. He's the,
0: okay, so now we come to the P word. Um, it means all that. Yes, it means all that. <laughs> well, let's let's summarize that up because to me, um, I remember uh, this was about twenty years ago. Reading J.I. Packers, Knowing God, Oof. and which is if yes. you haven't read that as a believer, that is that is definite. Okay. But listen, yeah. yeah,
1: listen to this. <laughs> so okay. I, I, I Ray, my wife and I weren't even married yet. She was driving. We yeah. were stuck in traffic on um, the four hundred and five freeway in Southern California on our way to Big Bear, and mm-hmm. I was reading his chapter on the love of God. And I, I might have gotten saved. I don't know. I'm just writing there in shotgun, reading about God's propitiate, propitiation.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I, th-
1: I understood for the first time.
0: Yeah. If if you don't, if you're not familiar with the word propitiation, get your a Bible translation that has that word in there, because um, it's extremely important. And I remember reading that mm-hmm. chapter in J.I. Packers Knowing God and just being blown away by the significance of what it meant to have our sins. Propiti- propitiated.
1: Mm. What does All it right. mean? Well, satisfaction.
0: Yeah, so, I know that song. You, ca- I can't get no satisfaction, but you actually, you can.
1: <laughs> way to bring in the Rolling Stones. I know. That no. Um, so the the it means so propi- propitiation is a vertical statement.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So Christ propitiated the Father, he satisfied the requirements that were required of us, both of what we should have done and the penalties that we deserved. So when Jesus died in our place, in our place condemned he stood, when he died on the cross in our place, propitiating the Father means that he was satisfying, pleasing, completing, finishing, doing all that was
0: required to rescue us. Yeah. And there we come to Romans five, verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace mm-hmm. with God. Yeah. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. It through Christ, through his propitiation propitiating, I can't get my words out today. It's propitiating a hard word. sacrifice. Yeah. His atoning sacrifice that satisfied the wrath of God. A person, a sinner, can have true peace with God. Their sins can be forgiven, not because they've been swept under the rug, but because they've been completely and utterly paid for.
1: Yeah. So, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, Mm -hmm. so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther's great exchange that passage saying that um, I, I've I, in teaching before I've used the illustration where I'm wearing a black jacket and that black jacket represents my sin shame and folly just all that's wrong with me and then uh, someone stands up and they are wearing a white jacket jacket representing purity, holy and glory and basically what happens at the cross is, is Jesus takes my black jacket of sin and wears it. He takes my sin off me and satisfies God's righteous demands against them. And then God gives me his son's righteousness, credits mm-hmm. it to my account, what Martin Luther called the great exchange. Um, that, that's what transpires in propitiation.
0: Now, as we kind of draw this epi- episode to a close here in the next few minutes, I'm going to go ahead and do that by opening up another can of worms. Because what better thing to do in the last few minutes? No, no, actually, this is going to be, there, there are going to be some believers out there that are going to be like, nope, don't agree with that, but here's, here's where I'm going with it. And it's the issue of eternal security. How can we know that we are truly, eternally secure in Christ if we are truly saved? This, we're not going to get to the issue of false believers, false mm-hmm. professors, because the Bible says that those do exist. You have people that profess to be Christians but are not truly in Christ. So if you are truly a believer and all of your sins are truly paid for Mm -hmm. by Christ, how could you possibly perish and go to hell?
1: And this is against Catholic teaching too, Yeah, because Catholic teaching to be a faithful Catholic is to say that Christ atoned for all my sins up to the point of my salvation, and then or
0: baptism would it be? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, but up to that point of let's say conversion,
0: mm-hmm.
1: whenever that moment takes place in Catholic theology, then all the sins I commit post conversion or post baptism, I have to go to Christian hell, or rather Catholic hell, purgatory. purgatory. To pay for my sin. Whereas what we're saying, part of the reason the Reformation took place is that is false teaching. When Christ died on the cross, he propitiated my sins of the past, my sins of the present. He propitiated the father of my sins of the past, the present, and all my future sins. Mm-hmm. So all the sins I don't want to commit tomorrow have been washed clean and wiped away by the blood of the Lamb. Yeah. So, when tomorrow comes and I fall into a sin and I want to run in sorrow and shame away from God or Satan's attacking me saying, see how horrible you are. It's, yeah, I am a yeah. horrible sinner, says Luther, but I have a great Savior. And run back to the cross.
0: Yeah. Well, I've, 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 I've had this discussion with a lot of uh, Arminian friends, brothers, and, mm-hmm. and true. yeah, I believe there's, there's sound, I mean there, there's solid Armenian believers out there. I, I strongly disagree with them on this point. It doesn't mean they're not saved, but one of the things I think they could be missing in this whole discussion is the very nature of the atonement itself. That if Christ died and actually paid the penalty for your sins, how can one perish in his or her sins? For what are they being punished? Because Christ cannot be punished. You, you can't see a sin punished. Just as it would be unjust for God to dismiss your sins and sweep them under the rug and pretend like they never happened, just as that would go against his very nature and holiness, it would be as unjust and unholy for God to punish the same sin twice. Yeah. So, now, that, that opens up the question people are going to ask. Well, what about, you know, what about people who say, wow, I'm saved, I can go do whatever I want. Well, the Bible talks about false professors. And it talks about when you are in Christ, you have a, you're a new creation. And you've been given a heart that is filled with the Spirit of God to do the works of God and obey, and a desire to obey Christ. And therefore, New desires. New desires. So therefore, if, if you're saying, hey, I'm in, I've got my ticket to heaven, mm-hmm. I'm just going to do whatever I want, that shows that there's fundamentally not a changed heart happening. there. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that true Christians don't sin or fall into periods of perhaps backsliddenness, or, yeah. or do
1: seasons, yeah. seasons, or yeah. do even
0: terrible things, because deception is very deceptive. Yeah. Um, but what that does mean is that there's going to be a different response to that sinfulness. A lot of times you look at the characters of Saul, and you look at the characters of David in the Old Testament, and, and David did some pretty rotten things. But his response ultimately is what we see is, is different in why he's called a man after God's own heart. Because when he is caught in his sin, there is repentance mm-hmm. that takes place. And, and you see the same thing today, even, even in the church. There, there have been some very uh, sincere godly men and women who have fallen into great sin. But the ones that I think prove themselves to be truly in Christ are the ones that repent in tears mm-hmm. and, and realize, I've done a terrible thing. I've, I've profaned the name of Christ. And then you have others that harden themselves mm-hmm. and prove themselves to be unbelievers.
1: Yeah, we, God, he preserves us in our perseverance. Mm. Right, So there's the admonitions all throughout Scripture to persevere in our faith. But Romans 7 is in our Bible. We wrestle against the remaining indwelling sin. We're not yet glorified. God invented this thing called sanctification where we are in this life that, um, as John Piper said, it's not a straight line to glory. There's twists and turns and setbacks and pitfalls and avalanches on the road and different things that happen to us. But Christ will, will see us there. I, I love um, um, the end of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And there stumbling is being used as to, to fall away, to apostate yeah. from Christ. So um, the question of this, our time together has been, why did Christ die? Yeah. And we have highlighted that penal, that's legal, substitutionary, Atonement, but when we turn to the Scripture, there there are other. Uh, I mentioned earlier crushing Satan, and mm-hmm. Colossians talks about Christ's work on the cross was was disarming principalities and powers. So, the way it's been described, are very... you saying
0: one hour is not enough to discuss the entirety of this? Subject? Oh,
1: plenty of time. <laughs> I mean, I was talking at one point five speed trying to get through the Bible. There, I know. But the Christ's work on the cross is a diamond. Mm-hmm. And as a diamond, it has multiple faces, all those facets. So when we talk about, because Christ absolutely was an example for us, um, and we can point to the passages that talk to us many places about uh, Christ's example on the cross. Yeah,
0: greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for
1: his glory. Yeah. Sons. yeah. Um, so that's part of the diamond. But the chief facet, the principal cut on this exquisite diamond is. Penal substitutionary atonement, um, crushing good, sa- good metaphor.
0: By the way, I, I like it.
1: It's not mine. I think okay. it's like it, I someone else. Smarter it sounds came very up with
0: puritanical. So
1: I hope so. Yes. So, for example, Christus Victor, one of those titles of, of Christ Jesus, the well, the Victor, Right. Um, crushing Satan. That's part of the diamond. Christus Exemplar, his his example. That's part of the diamond. But it's this, it's it's those authors we mentioned at the beginning who are saying, no, it's only example, or no, it's only this. But part of my reasoning by laying out the entire storyline of Scripture was to show is that God is angry against sin, and it must be dealt with. And it's in the death of Christ, where Christ himself goes into the grave, is able to pull out all those believing souls out of the grave and save them. But (laughs) this is the closing thing. Okay. This whole talk is about Christ. So why did Christ die? To save his people. But listen to this. This is, this is Jesus in John 14, 31. Last Supper. He's going to go to the cross. And here he tells us another reason why he's going to the cross. I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. mm Rise and let us go from here.
0: Mm.
1: So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that the ultimate reason that Jesus went to the cross was to show the world his love for the Father. And in his perfect love, he brings us in that, enables us to have that love of the Father. But I mean, just that, that portrait there, part of him going to the cross was to show everyone this is how much the Son loves the Father.
0: Bro, that is a mic drop comment right there. Of course, you're wearing a lapel mic, so don't drop it. (laughs) No, that's excellent. Thank you, Dave, for sharing that. going to wrap things up here. A couple of quick things to note. Uh, If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are on the tweet. We are are twoting, tweeting, twoting, whatever. We are on the Twitter out there, The MOA Podcast on Twitter. Also, you can find us on the webs, on the internets at menofathens.com. Follow us on iTunes and on the Anchor.fm app if you're on one of those Android phones. Uh, And yeah, subscribe to us. We have an MOA OTC episode that's also going to be available today. We ended up talking about, was it, Flat Earth in North Korea? I don't know, something like that.
1: (laughs) The Illuminati.
0: The Illuminati. Dave, as we wrap up the episode today, would you take us out with our passage uh, from second Peter. <laughs> you, you missed it. I, I did. Uh,
1: friends, we together want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity and all of God's people said,
0: Amen, Amen. You've been listening to the Men of Athens podcast. If you have a question or comment that you would like us to address on a future episode, email us at questions at menofathens.com.